Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to tonight's 320 Friday show. The show that would be embarrassed if my club ever needed public money to redevelop their stadium. I mean, the absolute shame. We've got the usual huge show with a lot to talk about. Looking back at the Brentford win. Talking Pep in charge of England. Well, maybe. Joe Hart retiring. Talking to Bournemouth fan Simon and previewing the Saturday evening match and more besides. So, you know, just the odd one or two things to chat about as always. To do so, big guns are in again. Can't keep them away, truth be told. It's Asan and Lloyd. Good afternoon, Asan. How are you? Afternoon, Howard. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. I love Fridays. Um, the weekend is here. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling fine. Mm. You love Mondays though, so I love every day. I'm just I'm I, I'm a toxically positive person, uh, as <laughs> as somebody said to me recently and i went all right man well, that. <laughs> very good very good lloyd very 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 good <laughs> so yes i'm fine howard oh good lloyd how are you chipping in there yeah yeah i'm good i'm good uh yeah no i'm i'm quite excited actually to watch uh the game on Sunday. I've got a feeling Chelsea, Chelsea might get something with all of uh, Liverpool's injuries. So let's see. Mm. You're excited about the Carabao Cup final? Haven't well, I just it would just be nice for Liverpool not to win that. So I'm, yeah. I'm not holding out too much hope. Yeah. I also think City's game is a really interesting one. I, I think think they could cause us a few problems this weekend, but we'll get to that towards the end of the pod. Yeah. No, it would be nice if Liverpool didn't win it, but it also would not be the end of the world if they pick up a Carabao Cup because, you know, I I set my own rules a few years ago. It's like Liverpool, the teams I hate, and there's many of them, as long as they, if they win either the league or the Champions League, then that hurts me big time. And, you know, I'm turning off my computer, but anything else, uh, I, I can I can handle that basically, so... Yeah, but yeah, come on, Chelsea. Can't believe I'm saying that. So it would be funny. At least it would end the quadruple talk as well. The quadruple, not a quadruple. But yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, right. We've got a lot to talk about. But before we look back at City this week, a uh, couple of short discussions from news this week. Uh, Lloyd, going to stick with you first. News is broken. And I think, and I forgot to message Joe this but i think me and joe or whoever wants to should do a history podcast before the end of season on this topic joe hart is to retire at the end of the season mm. so i thought it was worth taking five minutes and you know we can spend more time as i said uh, another time talking about his career and looking back at his time at city but i think it was worth five minutes here as well uh how important was he to City? Uh, what? How do you view him now, long after he's gone, of his time at the club? Mm. I think it's an interesting one, given how the club's kind of changed since Hart left. And obviously, I, th- I think he's probably underrated now amongst the fan base as to what he did. Uh, Ours? In, or uh, all yeah, fan City's, bases? No, City, I'd say City's fan base. Um so because he kind of came a little bit to blows with Guardiola and obviously refused to kind of adapt, um, although if you take Guardiola, the story about what Pep said to him when he walked in the door, then then maybe fair enough. Um, I think it's easy actually to forget 
just how good he was for us mm. from you know 2010 to about 2014-15 some of those performances in the Champions League were you know some of the best goalkeeping performances full stop I've ever seen um you know Barcelona away Dortmund I mean the Dortmund one at home was ridiculous <laughs> and you know he, he he left City with 266 appearances and 75 England caps which is incredible like really I mean that that is that's a super high number that's I think it probably puts him within kind of the top 30 um or so England like top cap players ever and I know it's a bit easier for a goalkeeper than an outfielder because I guess a bit like Jordan Pickford at the moment you could have a bit of a clear run mm. but he he was he was a brilliant shot stopper and he was kind of the core really of the center of our team and particularly before Mancini came in I think you know he he provided a lot of stability and we kind of built around that um in the t- in the kind of title winning years under Mancini and then afterwards Pellegrini so yeah I think probably slightly underrated by the City fan base and I look forward to you guys doing a bit more of a dive on him because I'm sure there's things I've kind of forgotten from around 10 years ago yeah I've got him with Stat City uh, the wonderful website of course uh Going was 348 starts, Wikipedia 266. Uh, I'm wondering, is that for everyone, that 300? Normally that site just talks about City of performances, but whichever it is, uh, the 75 England caps, you had 43 clean sheets in those 75 <laughs> England caps, which I know we play some, uh, England plays some fodder quite a lot of time, but that's still pretty damn good. Three golden gloves on the row, four in total. Uh, cups, obviously, two Premier League titles. So then Pep arrived. Asan, <laughs> uh, your thoughts on on Joe Hart? I, I feel generally, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to split it up between City fans and others. I feel that the his downfall after leaving City has somehow tarnished his brilliance beforehand a bit uh, in many people's eyes. I think probably within the wider football community that happened. Um, but for me, I can, I can only echo what, what Lloyd said. I, I think he was incredible for us for 95% of the time that he was our goalkeeper. Um, I can't remember seeing too many better goalkeepers keep goal for Manchester City in my lifetime, um, mm. which which kind of tells its own story. Uh, and I think the the kind of the the Pep thing, uh, Pep was entitled to feel the way that he felt about the goalkeeping position, um, and I think that you know from from Joe's point of view, you could probably understand with hindsight why he was disappointed, um, but that's that's life. It's kind of the professional game in a way, um, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite balanced in terms of kind of respecting everything that Hart did for City, but understanding why when Pep came in, it was probably time for him to go because I don't think that it was a case of well, give me a chance and I can learn how to play with my feet. No, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. Your man's looking for a goalkeeper who can play like a midfielder, and that you're just never going to be able to do. So yeah, he was, um, wasn't going to adapt, was he? So no, it's not about adaptation because you just there's some things that you just can't learn. You know, mm. you can't teach in the same way that De Gea couldn't learn. Joe Hart's not going to learn because 
you've not been brought up to play football with your feet in that sense. So you're not suddenly going to going to be have the passing range of an outfield player. Uh, but again, yeah. like I feel like we're dwelling a little bit on the negative. I think just yeah. to keep it really short and really sweet. Uh, Hart was incredible, and he's a Man City legend because he was goalkeeper when we, you know, knocked United off their perch, won the first trophy in God knows how many years, won the first Premier League. I mean, it just he gets to he gets to be in that team of legends for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff I've got written down here. The notes is negative in that, but not in the like he was rubbish. Like <laughs> it's like. I found the perception of him, even while she was at City, from outside the City bubble, weird. You know, talked about he had mistakes in him. Yeah, uh, goalkeepers generally do, don't they? We're still talking about goalkeepers now having mistakes in them. And that he was arrogant and just weird stuff like that. So I'm just happy that, you know, after he went to, was it Torino? And he went to Spurs, did play for them, Burnley and so on. I'm glad Uh I know might as well be Celtic uh, meme would say uh, you're always going to win something at Celtic but I think he's won five trophies there with another two up for grabs still and I'm, I'm glad he's ended on a, a bigger high so yeah he's definitely got a brilliant legacy for his time at City part of our one of the most you know, wonderful times in our history and definitely worth doing a bigger dive into uh, before the summer so I'm making that promise right now. We will do a podcast just on Joe Hart and look back at his time because I, I really want to really enjoy that. Right, one more question. Uh, Peps, hey son, Peps said that he would one day like to manage an international team, perhaps his final job, who knows, after when he's had enough of club football and the intensity and stress of it. And I just thought it'd be worth asking for a couple of minutes uh if you if you could see Pep as an international manager, and I had my doubts at first because I thought it was all about the day, you know, the daily grind and the intensity of it, and it'll be a bit weird being an international manager when you've got so few games. But if he was, does a certain country or a few countries stand out for you that he would be well suited to? Uh, yeah, I'm on record as saying that I think he'll be the next England manager. So really? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to not the next one. <laughs> He's got yeah because I I because Southgate ain't got long left surely he, so. he's going to end up extending Southgate's yeah. going to end up extending I'm 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 ninety nine percent sure that Southgate will will get to do uh, two years from now what is it the World Cup in two years is that right hmm. yeah so I think after the World Cup Southgate will go and I think that'll be the ideal time for. But I mean, actually, I want Pep to stick around for another 10 years, but um, in terms of what job he'd be suited to, well, he's not going to take the Spain national no. team job. Um, I think the Brazilian national team job might, from a kind of romantic point of view, appeal to him. Um, but that's it. And then outside of that, like he's been in England, he's managed in England longer than he has anywhere else. He'll know the English core of players better than any, everybody else. If you look at the generation that is that has come through and is coming through, there is a lot more Guardiola suited footballers in that generation than there have been previously. So, I'm 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 all aboard the uh, the Pep to England train after he leaves City. Be interested to see how he's treated by the press if he took the England job. Would it not? Definitely. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> we'll park that comment uh, for now. Lloyd, do you agree? I guess the key, yeah, behind what I'm asking, you are thinking about, well, which set of players suits how he wants to play? 
And I guess England suits how he wants to play a lot more than the England players of the squad of about 15, 20 years ago. So. But is there anyone else as well that you could see him managing? Um, like Portugal, Brazil, probably yeah. the only few. I don't, he's not going to do the Spain job, like Asan said, because of political reasons. Um, and outside of that, I, I don't really see who he'd go for. I think ultimately a bit like any job in the club game, Pep would have his pick, wouldn't he? Of, of which team. Yeah, but. If he really wants to prove himself as a great, he should he really take a ta- challenging job like Scotland, surely. <laughs> what about San Marino, mate? Let's go, let's go really, really far to the bottom. I just have. I'm just, just trying to uh, draw Ali out and see if he listens to this show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they have qualified, though, to be fair. Um, I know. I think, I think England makes a lot of sense. I mean, it does, man. Really? Like Asan said. I think Pep will have coached probably like close to, I don't know, like a third to half of the squad at some point <laughs> yeah. down, you know, down the time of his career if he was to and, waltz in. And put his arm around the others at full time. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think we'll finally see Nathan Redmond get his first three. <laughs> and about time. Yeah. About time. So I th- I think it makes sense. I also think the noises around Southgate, I do agree with Asan. I think unless there's like a real, there's a real big failure this summer with the England team, you know, they get knocked out in like the last 16 or the quarters or something. I think they're probably just going to extend Southgate. The noises from his side seem to be that he, he might do another round, in which case you'd think that the kind of timelines would line up because I think that would be the biggest problem for England, wouldn't it? If Southgate were mm. to go, I don't think like Pep would walk away from City immediately to take the England job. Um, yeah, I think even though I'm an England fan and I probably have tinted specs, it probably is one of the only few options to and one of the best. Yeah, kind of might might make watching England interesting as well. Maybe. Well, just wait till he benches Foden. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or players him at right back, yeah. Nice, Lloyd. Very nice. <laughs> the dearth of left backs. The dearth of left backs in England. I reckon. I reckon Pep takes over the England job and Phil Foden gets shuttled to left back immediately. Yeah, Shaw's out for the season again as well. Chilwell will inevitably get injured at some point. The only question is, uh, which keeper would he pick? Because <laughs> we've just been talking about uh, Joe oh, Hart. Yeah, and, uh, good point. That. Yeah, there aren't any, are there? God. Uh, yeah, that would be a, that would be a struggle. I, I don't know who that would be. Yeah, he may have to adapt somewhat there. Right, let's look back at City then. Uh, Brentford was this week. Seems like ages ago now. And can I just say to both of you, uh, I've been trying to write a monologue phrase about how I hate social media, blah blah blah. And I thought it's no point pointing it out. It's just stating the obvious. Uh, and it was so nice, and I tend not to. And the point of social media is you don't get to actually just have a proper conversation about football anymore. So it was nice to actually talk about the Brentford match and thoughts and have a discussion on WhatsApp and Twitter Wednesday morning. Just felt normal. For 10 minutes, I felt normal on social media. So thanks for that. But the game did trigger me a bit, as you may have noticed from my WhatsApp messages, Asa. Mm. Uh, in respect, I think, of the pace of the game, obviously not the result. Uh, you know, as soon as the full-time whistle goes and we've won, 
I'm always pretty happy, always, <laughs> because it's a results game. But something about the pace of the game, I don't know if it's to do with other teams, you know, Arsenal and Liverpool just going through a nice period right now and knocking the goals in left, right and centre, did leave me very frustrated. And there's a lot of people, I've never been so frustrated during a match as well, you know, like effing and blinding and kicking stuff. Uh, maybe it was just the mood I went into that evening, who knows. But I really enjoyed your review. Uh, it, it spelt things out a bit more for me. And I guess now that we're way past uh, the game, are you, are you still pretty happy with that general performance level and and how it may bode for future games, You know, such as the one coming up this weekend? Mm. Uh, yeah, I am. I think it, the, probably the best starting point um, is the the point that you just made about being almost framing City performances through the prism of what Arsenal and Liverpool do mm. on on that particular weekend, which I think is a little bit of a fool's errand. Um, but notwithstanding that, I think that the difference right now is just that we're not taking as many chances as they do. And I think actually part of why that game ended up feeling the way it felt is because we we don't play like Arsenal and we don't play like Liverpool and we're not gonna you know we're just we're not gonna we're not gonna we didn't beat Real Madrid by playing football like that last year we mm. we beat Real Madrid at the Etihad by playing almost exactly how we tried to play um against Brentford I think the big difference and the key thing in our kind of tactical makeup is the the first goal and the early goal in particular is incredibly important when you don't feel total confidence in the defense i think it's it, the one difference between now and what you would say is the run in last season for me is just the defense if we have the same confidence in our defense now that we had then I think we feel really good about the idea that we can win every competition that we're still in because mm. from a creation, chance creation point of view, it's still really good. The reality is Bernardo Silva's got to score that header that he misses. The reality is that Erling Haaland has two sitters that he's got to score against Brentford. The reality is that Phil Foden runs through and in a position where normally he buries it, he doesn't bury it. And I think that when off the top of your head, you're looking at four, five, six chances that really you're not talking about low percentage chances, even from an XG point of view, you're talking about really high percentile chances from an XG point of view then you're in a good place. It means un underperforming XG with the players that we've got doesn't frighten me because eventually they'll revert to the mean. So, and I think that part of the question about performance levels and what's good and what's bad in terms of performance, again, it's basically being framed through the idea that we're not taking as the chances that we are creating or we're not taking enough of them to make games super comfortable. And so that's making us, that's affecting the way we view the performance. I think if you're a bit cold about it and you look at data, City are in a really good place. I think we're in we're in a place where we want to be, which is that we've still got a gear, maybe two to go up, but we're still doing enough to win games. I mean, like 
I just feel as though the Chelsea game is an aberration. Both of the Chelsea games this season have been an absolute aberration for different mm. reasons. I don't think that if Erling Haaland plays football professionally for the rest of his life, he'll have as bad as a game as he had against Chelsea in terms of the chances. It just won't because it wasn't one, it wasn't two, it wasn't, it was just, it was a relentless amount of chances that he would score. Um, and it was different in the, in the, in the first game in that the defending was an aberration. And so I think you kind of take those two games out and I think, and Villa's probably the other one that you go, don't know what that was, but other than that, I mean, what are we? I think we're, I think I, I, uh, I counted the other day. I think we've played sixteen, one fourteen, and drawn two since Villa. I, it, un unless I'm mistaken, that's more or less the record. Maybe after Brentford, it's played seventeen, drawn two, and won the lot, won the rest. Yeah. That's you know, the record's good. Yeah, that's that's not a Do good the performances record. follow. Well, I think the que I think this is what I mean that when you talk about performance, I'm not sure that it's a catch-all conversation because if everybody does their job up to the fella who's at the end of the chances and all the fellas on the end of the chances don't score, for me that's a fantastic performance because in the end, like I say, the forwards will revert to the mean and will be fine. So you can be super critical if you don't win the game. Then you look at the individuals, you look at the forwards and you go, individually, that's not good enough because we didn't win the game. But the flip side of that is if you do what we did against Brentford and you only score one, it's absolutely fine because we only needed to score one. And so the performance itself from back to front, they can look at it and go, well, we got 95% of that performance spot on. And the 5% we lacked is probably the 5% where the finishing will naturally get better. Yeah, it got me. I mean, all of this about what will, will City went or they will click into gear, they always do at this point, truly into gear, got me thinking about our heights of last season. And we weren't relentlessly brilliant in last March, April, May, at all. Mm. Uh, everyone, obviously, we reached <laughs> ridiculous highs against Madrid and Bayern Munich. Uh, but we that remember that one all draw at Forest? How could we forget? Uh, when we missed lots of chances, surprise, surprise, that was on the mm. 18th of February. Uh, there was a dour 1-0 at Palace. I think it was a Haaland penalty, wasn't it? That was the 11th of March. The near collapse at home to Leicester in April when... We thought we had it sewn up at 3-0. Tight win at Fulham, uh, thanks to Alvarez. That was the end of April. Lots of real, like, you know, sign of a champion, uh, tight wins, you know, just getting over the line type of things, which we've had in every single season when we've won stuff. So we weren't relentlessly brilliant last season. We're just looking, really, to see the rhythm, I think, in, my respect, in that respect, so that, and the system that works best, that I'm not sure we've quite found that yet. Lloyd but for you is is Pep still tinkering a bit to find that system he's always got a couple of different injuries of course at any one time to kind of change as well so he has to change and is it finishing for you as well because I think after the game had after I talked to you on WhatsApp and after I'd gone on Twitter I then watched the highlights again for the first time and forgot how many chances we had in that Brentford game and as I said later on I think if you'd taken a couple more chances, we'd all be talking about it as the perfect professional performance. 
Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think I was trying to bring you around when we were talking about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I. Yeah. It was too early in the morning for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's you, not me. So. Yeah. The Chelsea, the Chelsea game concerned me because, you know, ultimately, like, perspective is points, and so, like Asan said about Brentford, we we got the win, we scored a goal, we kept a clean sheet, so we get three points, and Harlan took one of the chances, which is what we needed. Now, if he hadn't have taken that chance, and we'd have come away nil nil then you feel very differently, particularly off the back of the Chelsea game. But the bottom line is he does he does take one of them and that's that is all we needed. And you you know, sometimes you do have to get over the line in games like that. We've done it in every single title winning season, yeah. as you've said. And again, that's why I was trying to give you a bit of perspective on Wednesday morning, you've got to be careful about looking at what Liverpool and Arsenal do because yeah, okay, they look f- more fluent at the moment and you know, they've had a couple of really good performances which have been showered with lots of goals. But look what happened to Arsenal on Wednesday night away at Porto. You know, they played really timidly, totally within themselves. I guess you could say a little bit like kind of early early Guardiola yeah. Champions League performances. Yeah. Where- That's it, though. Different competition, isn't it? I think he, tried, he went for the draw knowing, yeah, that Pep's done many a time but got it wrong because of a wonder girl. I don't know. Well, it, but yeah, they were. But, but obviously, yeah, they created very little anyway. So, yeah. But Arsenal were, you know, they went into that game with a lot of hype. Third yeah. favourites for the Champions League, third favourites with the bookies. You know, the, all the pundits before the game were talking about, well, outside of City and Madrid, Arsenal probably the third favourites, aren't they? So, mm. you know, they feel, they'll all feel very different now um, going into uh, their game this weekend. So, yeah. Oh, it's it's a, it's a strange one. I think it it always it still does come down to the kind of structure playoff of making things a, a bit less controlled, and then there's then more emphasis on the individuals, which comes down to the finishing. And when the guys don't take the chances, it kind of exposes that lack of control a bit. We just have to hope, and I, you know they've proven it before. And I would include Alvarez in that, even though I've been critical of him as a and mainly as a midfielder. You would think that him, Haaland, you know, the other guys that are in front of the goal, Foden, they will take them moving forwards. Um, and I think as much as I've been a bit worried about Haaland, and I've probably not said that massively on this podcast, I think we've got to realise that he was out for quite a long time. He was not great beforehand, and it probably is going to take him a while. So we've just got to be patient. I mean, if we can't be patient with Big Earl, then what are we doing? It was a hell of a finish, though. And it was just there was a tiny little touch to the left just before he shot as well, just to change the angle by a few degrees. Uh, yeah, it was and the defender awesome. falling over awesome. there—that's—that's that's not any. Yeah, he didn't just fall over. It was no, he panicked because yeah, he, he panicked oh, after I... Harland's controlled the ball. That, yeah, that's happened far too many times when Harland's breaking one on one for it to be pure fluke like agree how many times have we seen Haaland bearing down on goal and the defender can't sort their feet out and they fall over it's not a coincidence mm. Mm. No. no i agree and i think uh, actually the 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 thomas frank i didn't like thomas frank's comment afterwards because i was a bit like really mate if he hadn't have fallen over he was still getting bodied like Haaland's been in that position a few times since he's, he's come at city and i can't think of a defender that hasn't been bodied in that sort of one-on-one situation 
Yeah, indeed. Just sticking with you, Asan, what I said about uh, the system. Do we, are we do we talk too much about this, about Pep trying to find that, that Nirvana, that perfection that we found with John Stone stepping into midfield last season or trying to find balance and rhythm in his team? Or I think it's just do you think he's still looking for something? I th- just think it's about evolution. I, I don't. I don't think it's about searching and finding. I think it's just about perpetual evolution. I think every season that Pep's been City manager, they've changed the way they play. I imagine because Guardiola feels as though everybody gets a season to look at what he does and then the next season they'll be ready for it. So he would rather be one step ahead. Secondly, he adapts to the quality of his players more than anything else. And so the squad will evolve each season because of injuries and new signings and players leaving. And so he's got to adapt to the players who are available to him. Um, So I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that it's about like uh, a kind of a nirvana of right. That's the system, and once yeah. that that's nailed, that'll be it. I don't think it's like that. But I think the one thing I would say is that I do feel as though this is probably the first season since the his first season as City manager where. I saw I do sort of look through the squad and I think through a combination of transfers and injuries he's probably got the least pep squad or or the least defined guardiola roles squad that he's ever had other than the first season at city because I think ultimately and and I'm t- and you got to take into account injuries. I think the reality is John Stones, Kevin De Bruyne, and Jack Grealish have not played enough football this season to be considered like part of the. I mean, they're obviously part of the squad. But the point I'm making is, from Pep's point of view, he's had to plan around those three rather than with mm-hmm. those three. And I think that's left him with the least Guardiola-like squad that he's had at City, and he's adapted to that. And you know. For all of for all of my Julian Alvarez angst, he'll just argue. Well, look at who have not had, and look at the results, and look at Alvarez's numbers. Maybe it's not been as pretty on the eye. Maybe it hasn't been as controlled. But we're one point off the top of the league. We're into the last sixteen of the Champions League. We got a one nil nil lead in that first leg. We still got That's the right. FA Cup to play. Like it's, it's you know, I, I think. As much as we can be critical of many things in the moment, and that's part of that's part of being a football fan. I'm football will make hypocrites and liars of all of us all the time. That's just the way it goes. It's the reality of being a football supporter. I'm all right with that. Do you know what I mean? Like in the main, um, I can be on the back uh, backside of Chelsea. I can feel like I want to sack everybody. And at the back end of Brentford, I can go back to going, we've probably got the best team in the world and the best manager in the world. That's just, it's the ebb and the flow of it. But in the main, I think Pep's done the best job that he can do with the tools he's had at his disposal. Uh, Lloyd, stupid comment or not, probably. Uh, I did wonder, uh, with the Everton game done, Played them twice, played Brentford twice, uh, but, but you know, especially at the Etihad, it's more pertinent, I think, uh, that we might not have as many low blocks now for the rest of the Premier League season, but 
that in Europe you just don't get them. So I've been telling friends quite a lot now. In a way, I kind of feel we're better primed to win the Champions League than the Premier League this season. Does that make any sense to you? Obviously, we could win yeah. both. <laughs> and the odds are much lower for us winning the Premier League. Uh, but does, the cha- does it make any sense to you that we kind of suit the Champions League more than the Premier League right now? Totally. I mean, if you look at the last three seasons in the Champions League, City have been completely dominant, even though we've only won one. I think Wednesday night for Arsenal is a really good example of how tough the Champions League is. And, mm. you, you know, I think if we were to go to lose 1-0 at Porto, that would be a massive shock and everyone would be really surprised by that. And it's as as we know as fans, it's a, diff, it's a slightly different way of playing the game and, manage, and managing the game, particularly when it comes to the kind of first versus second leg thing which we really mastered last season. And even though we were quite nervous about some of those away draws, completely played into our favour, didn't it? When we yeah. brought them back to the Etihad. Um, now, are we as defensively resolute as last season? No. So I think that's that's the obvious elephant in the room for me. But I, I, I think... I think in the Champions League, we've just, we've just got the nows. And I think the thing is now... Other teams will fear, really fear City in the Champions League, whereas almost any game in the Premier League, most teams in the league will fancy taking some points off you in pretty much any game, bar maybe the bottom two or three. So, yeah. yeah. Have you watched many of the other games in the Champions League? I watched the Arsenal-Porto game in full. Um, yeah. I haven't. I've only seen highlights of the others, but apart from our, um, apart from that game, that's the only one I've seen properly. There's some, yeah. The standard is mean, not that amazing. Let's be honest. Obviously, I'll always fear Madrid, and I wouldn't want to play Arsenal because you know England against England. Uh, but yeah, I, I will put Napoli, Barcelona, on Napoli. Both teams are a shadow of what. They have been, especially Napoli, of course. Uh, Inter, I think, could be one of the main threats again. But yeah, again, sure. yeah, this, yeah, it was. It's not been a fascinating round in a way, uh, <laughs> and there is opportunity for City there, obviously. So we will see. Uh, right, just one more thing to talk about before we look forward, uh, because some of the stuff we talked about in Brentford, I can carry into the preview. Uh, strange few weeks in a way. Uh, Let's move away from this week and City completely. Look at the wider world. Uh, with the news that Tuchel is leaving uh, Bayern in the summer, Klopp's leaving Liverpool in the summer, Xavi's leaving Barcelona in the summer, eh, San? Strange and rare situation of three big managers giving advance warning of their departure. Mm. This is going to lead to one hell of a merry-go-round in the summer. Uh, do you find it interesting, fascinating? How do you think it's going to play out? Have you mapped it all out yet? Not yet, because I also think that uh, Baldy at, at United is getting yarded at the end of the season as well. Do you think? So, yeah, I think that, I think the United. Yeah, I think I think that's an almost certainty. Mm. Having seen Ratcliffe's comments, how non-committal they were, and actually, right. the thing that jumped out at me was um, they asked him, "Have you got a five-year plan? Have you got a ten-year plan?" And it's quite honest, it was like nobody's waiting 10 years for success. Um, and he said, we've got a clear three-year plan. In three years, 
we will be challenging City and Liverpool, right? And so mm. if I look at that idea of a clear three-year plan, either you're fully committed to Ten Hag, right? And I think if that were the case, he'd have said it, no, he's the guy, or you already know who you want next, or you've got an idea of who you want next, but you can't sack Ten Hag until the season is over. Yeah. But as soon as they're... As, as soon as they're either mathematically out of the, the equation for the top four, or he, even if he sneaks top four, I think they're getting rid of him anyway. Do you agree, Lloyd? I think it's hard if they make... I mean, it could be top five. I think it will be top five. Uh, England are third in the coefficients at the moment, but with the team still left in European competition, they'll probably get a top two. It'll probably be top five. I, I don't have faith in one or both of Spurs or Villa to be uh, consistent. And uh, to be honest, I've changed now because they've started getting injuries again, United, which will send them backwards. But if they get into Europe, do you think they'd still get rid of of Ten Hag and uh, have free reign on the first thing I said? Uh, it's going to be a very fascinating summer, isn't it, of managerial merry-go-rounds. So on, on Ten Hag, first of all, I, I also think they're going to get rid of him this summer because I think they'll look at the market and they'll go, we can clearly improve on the manager that we've got and mm. what's the point in waiting around, um, as Asan said. I, I, th I think they'll move him on. I think Ten Hag has had a... I think he's had a poor year this year. Um, I think the thing that's really obvious with United, and it's kind of funny because we've been having like a system versus individuals conversation around City for what feels like probably the first time under Guardiola like United do not have a system right so they are so reliant on their individual quality that I was I, I'm talking to some of my United mates about this and I wasn't really on board they were saying you know once we get some of these players back like this was like six weeks ago honestly the results will improve because we literally just rely on moments and I was just giving it like, oh yeah, you know, okay, will you be better at concede less goals if Martinez comes back or if Shaw comes back? But actually, as soon as they got all the players back, instead of drawing 1-1, they would just win games 2-1. And actually, you know, the last three, four weeks, they've strung together quite a good set of results. Now, mm. Hoyland's out for two to three weeks, Shaw's out for the season, Martinez is out for a few months, Casemiro's playing like... Um, a forty-year-old bloke who's eating who's eating pancakes in the center circle. They're back playing like me. They're back to <laughs> they're back to if they're back to relying on you know their kind of more fringe players. Then I think the likelihood is they revert back to what we've seen earlier in the season and mm -hmm. they start drawing the odd game, losing the odd game, then a win, and it's going to be less consistent. So I think. I think if it's top five, they'll probably sneak top five because, as you said, one of Villa or Spurs probably won't won't both manage it. But if I'm Ratcliffe, I'd, I'd move him on in the summer. And you know, you you try and convince even someone like Deserby, wouldn't you? you you'd go to Deserby and go, mm. look, we, we're building this new club. Look at what we've done at the executive level. Like you've had a tough year, Brighton. Do you do you really want to go to Barcelona? Come to United. And for me, Deserby would be a massive upgrade on uh, Ten Hag. Yeah, I think the other thing um, about Ten Hag is, again, if you look at the Ratcliffe interview, he, he speaks in 
great length at great length about how they need a clear identifiable style of play if look Omar Barada's gone there as CEO. I'm sure that Barada, in his job interviews, was like, and and Ratcliffe even says this, he's like, Manchester City, you've got 11 teams who all play exactly the same way. More or less, that's what we want. Now, when when he, when he as soon as he started talking about all that stuff, my mind immediately drifted to Ten Hag because the reality is that 18 months into Ten Hag's tenure, longer than that even, 19 months into Ten Hag's tenure, we're none the wiser as to what United's style of play is. And in the meantime, Deserby's gone to Brighton, installed a style of play that everybody knows exactly what it is. Spurs, Postacoglu, been there four months, installed a style of six months, installed a style of play that very clearly people know what it is and they can identify it. And that's what's going to, that's what's going to do for Ten Hag in the end, regardless of the results. Because, like, in the end, with the quality of players that United have got, you just go and look at the stats. Like, fine, like, it, you could bring Mourinho back if you only want 35% of the ball, yeah, and you're only going to play in transitions. Well, then you can just bring Jose back. It's fine. You bring, there's, there's a ton of managers out there, right, who will be reactive, who can set a team up defensively. And that's the other thing that United aren't even that good defensively. So I think it's a pipe dream that he keeps his job. Okay. And we didn't even get to talk about the merry-go-round in the rest of you. Okay. Very but, quickly, my predictions Javi Alonso yeah. lands at Bayern Munich. Uh, Wow. Tuchel lands at uh England Liverpool. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think he lands I think he lands at Liverpool and Deserby lands at United. That that's my three way prediction. Can't see Tuchel at Liverpool. I don't know. The, the problem well, with Barcelona is they've got the pull of the name, but they are really sinking into the abyss, aren't they? Let's be honest. Who, their, who are you talking their about? Their wage cap's just gone down again. <laughs> it's just gone down another 50 million or something. They're, they're in huge trouble. So I think they're going to find it very, very hard to, to use their name. And all the PR on about who the which players are after, I think they're going to find it very hard to get an established name. No, they can't. They can't even pay a look. The reality is that Barcelona are not even in a position to go and pay like twenty million euros to get Ruben Amorim out yeah. of Sporting. They're just then they're, they're not in this conversation. I think if you look at Liverpool, United, um, and who was the third club? Bayern Munich, right? Those I guess are the three big jobs that we think will be on the market. I think what I've said is probably what ends up happening. I think Javi Alonso smart enough to go. I don't want to follow Klopp. That feels a little bit too much like it could go one way or the other, a bit too risky. Uh, I think for the Touche, he's a safe pair of hands for Liverpool. Um, it, from a coaching point of view, he's not that far removed from Klopp. Um, maybe they'll look at the fact that he followed him at Dortmund and it didn't go well and, and that'll put them off. But then they don't have a lot of options. There isn't... Mm -hmm. uh, I slightly disagree with Lloyd in that I don't actually think that right now one of the issues with the managerial market is that there's nobody that represents what Guardiola or Klopp represented when they left their respective clubs to join Liverpool and City, right? And, and what you've well, got I'd, I'd argue Alonso looks the closest to that right now. Yeah, but that, uh, with respect, you are trying to compare a manager who's had three quarters of a season with 
a or maybe like a year with the first team and before that he was Real Sociedad B coach he's not really won anything in his life and when we're, when we're talking about like those boxes Klopp had won the Bundesliga back to back we all know what Guardiola had done my point is in this new generation of managers there's a lot of very good very highly rated coaches but there isn't one whose head is so far above the others that you go if you get him you definitely win hmm. yep. so we'll I think well Alonso Amarim uh Potter um uh, there's somebody else whose name Deserby. Um, I could keep going. There's, there's probably Terry O'Neill, mate. Yeah, no, I'm not having that. Thanks for the underrated uh, shout, but I'm not having that. Um, but you see what I mean? That like there just isn't a fella that makes that that you would go absolutely. He's the guy. Like so, for example, obviously Liverpool fans are desperate for Javi Alonso because he played for them it's the emotional thing more than anything else but the flip side of that is i've spoken to a few united fans that go i wouldn't have javi alonso he's not proven anything yet and that's wow. also a very fair thing to say that i'd take him at city you'd take him at city yep i just i mean think, i don't i don't mean i want pep to go i mean if pep had announced he was going right. but i'd go after alonso here's what i would argue i would argue if you look at the makeup of the Leverkusen squad, he has a lot more top quality players there than you might realize. The reality is there's probably five, six that you can buy into a Premier League Champions League team that can come and play for City or Liverpool or United or Arsenal or Chelsea. And so I think, yes, Alonso is a top coach. You can't argue with that. In the same way, De Zerbi's a top coach. But Alonso has got some top players there as well, and he's doing an amazing job with them. But for him to be anointed as the next Pep, he's got to go and do something absolutely remarkable. And for me, where I would go, all right, now I'm listening. If he goes on and wins the Bundesliga and he goes on and wins the Europa League, then I'll go, and he does that double this season, that's remarkable. And then you go, all right. Because that bottle to get over the hill with your team, to get them to the point where they can actually win the titles, that's the moment that the coaches elevate themselves. Wow. We could argue all day. I think he's the real deal. I can feel it in my water. So it's my, it's my feeling if, if Liverpool don't get Alonso, they're inherently weaker than City uh, after the summer. But if they do, hey. It may go terribly. Who knows? But you know what? You may Howard, go there just, and not work. But no, it's just a feeling. So I yeah. understand, but I want to yeah. say something, right? And I think it's something, something about that we, it, this. It's something that I've learned from, right? When Ten Hag was at Ajax, we all collectively went, he's the next coach off the rank, you know? He's mm. the real deal. Look at where he's taken Ajax. Look at how easily he's won that league. Look at how far they went in the Champions League. Look at how close they got to knocking Spurs out. And I think that that's a little bit my point that I've, I've learned from that, that actually you've got to dig a bit dig a bit deeper and go, well, look at the Ajax team. Look at the quality he had. Look at the, the kind of spine of that team that he was working with. He's a top coach on the training pitch for a certain type of player in a certain situation. But the Premier League 
is just, there's a reason why it's the toughest league in the world. There's a reason why players come here and sink who look like world beaters elsewhere. And the reason why coaches come here and sink when they look like world beaters elsewhere. And so I would, I'm just a bit more circumspect right now in terms, like if you said to me, Pep's leaving this summer, who's your number one pick? Honestly, I'd go, I don't have one. Because whoever you're picking, you're rolling a dice. It's not easy. Not easy. Uh, No, I think he's got a bit of aura and personality about him, Alonso, that Ten Hag definitely does not have. I know who I'd rather play for. It's it's important, that. The aura. The manager has to, he's not about tactics. He's got to inspire his players. He's got to Mm. run through those brick walls for him and be... Better. I and think a, there's definitely a, a podcast. Ten Hag would never do that to me because he's robotic and you know mm. cold and yeah yeah. I think there's definitely a podcast in in what the requirements are for these top clubs. Like when mm. you look at Bayern or you look at Liverpool or you look at City or United or Chelsea. Like actually, what are the requirements? How do you? Because Tuchel on paper going to Bayern Munich looked like a no brainer genuinely to me on paper i was like that's a no-brainer he's gonna walk in there and he's you know he'll 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 flick a switch and they'll walk the bundesliga and it's and it's gone the opposite of that so it's he can't hard to know he can't outmanage the harry kane curse (laughs) it's like (laughs) he's just a mere mortal yeah can't expect miracles right We've run out of time for part one. That is the end of part one. Time to look forward. First, I spoke on Wednesday evening to Simon from Talking Cherries about all things Bournemouth, and this is what he had to say. I'm delighted to be joined by Simon from Talking Cherries. Uh, Good evening, Simon. How are you? Good evening. Very well, thank you. How are you, Howard? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad. Uh... Just saying, this, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening. Forget what day it is most times. So uh, it could all be out of date by the Friday. But yeah, uh, I really enjoy talking to opposition fans. So looking forward to this. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it for taking the time out, especially in an evening as well. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. So should we talk Bournemouth? I guess so. That's why I'm here. <laughs> don't sound so enthusiastic about it <laughs> so a catch all question to start off then how are you feeling about Bournemouth performances right now and how the season's going so let's answer the second part first um, so obviously when we started the season we weren't quite sure what we were going to get I think mm. all fans were invested in the change I think 90% of fans that wanted to speak for everybody was happy that we'd got Iriola in. It took a little bit of time for it to get going, but through many of the early performances, you could see a progression. Yeah. And it was only a matter of time before it clicked. And then, of course, it did click, and it clicked incredibly well, especially beating them down the road, uh, as you would say, amongst yeah. many amazing performances in the run that we had. Since the, what I would call the winter break, if I can call it that, the staggered one, we've kind of um, been a bit inconsistent. We've played around with uh, different players in different wing positions, different players in the number 10 position, and it's been a bit stop-start. But on the whole, you can't complain. Uh, 13th position, uh, a dream of maybe finishing a top of the bottom half seems a possibility. 
So why do you think he's making these changes all of a sudden? Is it squad management in a way? Because I guess even you know, for every club, uh, season takes its toll, does it not? Yeah, I think the structure of the team before the winter break was perfect. Uh, no injuries, hardly any reason to change anything around. And I think we've suffered with injuries in fullback positions quite significantly. And I think everybody knows that it's important to have partnerships on a pitch. And sometimes key partnerships are those fullback to left midfield or right midfield, whichever side you're talking about and how those players work together. And I think because Ryan Christie's moved more centrally, and as we say, call him the Duracell bunny, because he has such a an amazing engine for that position. And he fell into that. That was an Iriola masterclass to put Ryan Christie central, because <laughs> traditionally he play it on the wing. So yeah. I think that's the dabbling around a little bit. But in the centre of the park, Christie and Cook have been fabulous. Amazing. Hmm. Well, you've, yeah, you said 13th in the league, no wins in six, I think, in the league. But when you look at the results, not many defeats either. Almost one at Newcastle. Uh, it's not yeah, I think bad, is it? It's just like, that, you feel like you feel like you're on the cusp of something better in a way. Yeah, yeah and I think that's that's the key point. I think there are many fans in the, in the Bournemouth fan community that have been frustrated with certain loan dealings, not least David Brooks going to Southampton when he's a possible option to come off the bench when we've been struggling mm. to be creative in certain moments in certain games. But it's really got to be looked at as the sum of all parts and where we're moving to. And as any fan of any club that's moved forward and progressed up a league, even with all the money you guys spent over the years, it takes time for teams to gel yeah. and partnerships to be put together through a pitch and for then it to work consistently so the recent results I think Fulham away certainly the first half performance was immensely disappointing the loss away at Tottenham it was a 3-1 but many would say we were a better team we're creating lots and lots of chances we're probably not just putting enough of them away and the manager the fans happy with him still very. I think we'd have liked his assistant manager to get a work permit, but let's not get onto that subject. That's a bit of a hot potato. Um, yeah, no, we're very, we're very happy. Again, I can't always speak for everybody, but we're enjoying watching the football and it's an attacking style. It's fluid. Yes, it may now and again have its moments where players slip on banana skins in the six-yard box. Lewis <laughs> Cook, Lloyd Kelly, <laughs> recent performances need to change their uh, footwear or their studs or whatever they're using. But they're no, very happy and excited for continued progression. So, star performers, I guess the obvious one this season, uh, is up front. I think I remember talking about uh, Solanke previously, last time we spoke, but it's continued a good form. Absolutely. I think statistically, I touched on it a moment ago, I think we could say he's had a lot more chances to convert than perhaps he has and I think that's something that he'll work on but he's working his socks off as he always does but he doesn't have to drop as deep as perhaps he did in previous seasons so he gets more touches in the uh, penalty box hence scoring more goals and the range of goals that he scored has been brilliant as well not least the two amazing headers away at Forest. Justin Cliver, interesting signing how's he been doing? 
he is an amazing engine, if I can put it that way. We've got two great engines in our team, Ryan Christie yeah. being one, and then him. And I think as a number 10, when Iriola sets us up with a high press, you have to have quite an energetic guy playing in that number 10. I think we've been found out a couple of times when we play different players in the 10. Clive can get stuck in a little bit too much from time to time, but I think there's many fans that are uh, slowly falling in love with his charm and uh, his commitment to the cause. Hmm. Uh, just five clean sheets, though, I think, this season. So is it fair to say that defence, if there was an issue in the team, defence is that issue? I think when you press high and mm. you do it with the vigour that we have, that's always going to be the risk. However, I think we could have shipped more goals than we have, and that's testament to the centre-back partnership of Sinesi and Zabani. I think Zabani is one of the best central defenders for his age in the country. I think he's one of the few players that we have that won't be around here for many years. I think mm. we are a stepping stone. He's certainly one of those players, and maybe Kerkes, who plays sometimes left back, sometimes doesn't, because of Lloyd Kelly playing there. They're definitely stepping stone players, but the recovery pace that Lloyd Kelly has is great. And when that high line is, is set, you need players that can turn around and get back quickly. And Zabani is very strong, and Sinesi gets in with a goal now and again. Our set pieces have got better on the front foot and our defending from set pieces has improved. Mm. Now, I didn't. I forgot to put this in the agenda, so I'm going to spring it on you before we look forward to the match itself at the weekend. <laughs> Away from Bournemouth, ever, as I said, we record, record this on the Wednesday evening. I've got a feeling by the time it goes out on the Friday... We may have heard about Everton's appeal against their points reduction. We may learn about Forrest as well, I don't know. But just generally, as a Bournemouth fan, that in a way you're involved, or could be involved, it might not, <laughs> to be honest, you're 13th in the, the league, uh, it may have no bearing on your season at all, but it could have. How do you view it as a Bournemouth fan, the points deduction? Do you feel any sympathy? Let's say Forrest get one as well, uh, for the sake of argument. Do you feel any sympathy for the fans? Or as a fan of a club that has kept within sustainability rules, do you have no sympathy at all? Well, no, this is a tough one, talking to a Man City <laughs> yep. fan. I think the initial answer is I do feel sorry for any club that gets a deduction. And it depends on what the rule breach is and for what reason. And I think mm. these are all very different and the new rules that have come in make it difficult for some teams. But I think the penalty was too high for right. for Everton. Um, so I think they should get some points back. But then again, I think they should also lose points for breaking the rules again. I think as hard as it is for me to say, we have an interesting relationship with Nottingham Forest as Bournemouth fans. They've broken the rules, but maybe theirs is slightly different. You know, they've just, mm. maybe, you know, the, the Johnson transfer, if that is what it is, and they ultimately held back to get a better deal for him. Clubs like ours, Forest, whatever, you just want the best deal for your players. So I think that one might be a little bit harsh, but the rules are in. And if you break the rules, you've got to suffer from the punishment. So, I do feel sorry for them, but rules is rules, as they say. Rules is rules, yeah. Right, 
let's look forward then. Saturday match. Uh, you a big fan of the 5.30 kickoff? Uh, this time of year, I'm a fan of any match that gives us the chance to play under the lights at home. <laughs> yeah. Because we have a much better record when we play under floodlights. And that will be the case. Traditionally, I am not a fan of the 5.30 kickoff, but I'll take it. Yeah. I assume you're not a fan, especially then of the 12.30, as we've been moaning about it on this podcast for quite a while now. So Can't stand it. The quicker it's gone, the better. <laughs> Though I'd still say I prefer it to a Friday night or a Monday night, but yeah, some of these kickoff times are just nonsense, yeah. Are you going into the game confident then? I think what you have this time, and this is probably the first time that we've spoken before a game where even though last time I think I predicted us winning at your place, which is totally naive and was never going to happen. Yeah, we well, yeah, uh, have. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, very interesting. We've got it in us to be mm. big teams now. I mean, you wouldn't say beating Man United away is a big team anyway, would you? I would not. <laughs> but there's potential... And there's excitement. And I think we've got a chance to score goals. Will it be enough? Not so sure. Yeah. We don't keep that many clean sheets. Have recently, but we will see. I think, sorry to interrupt you there, Howard. Yeah. I think in a funny kind of way, Bournemouth are more exciting to watch than you are at the minute. Yeah, but we're, <laughs> we can only play according to the opposition. So that's the key question. How are Iriola set up? Uh, He's not going to do some long block, his uh, low block, and have ten players in the in the uh, your own penalty area. He'll believe in his own players and play the normal way. I assume. I would hope so. Now I had this feeling and thought process for the away game, and it didn't really materialise that way. But we did make some errors. Now because we're at home, and because we're in a safe-ish position. You know, no. I think we've got a 0.6% chance of getting relegated, which is amazing for this stage in the season for us. And our fixture list coming up after Man City is not really the hardest. You know, we have Burnley and Sheffield United and Luton yeah. and Palace and Everton, then Luton again. You know, there's a whole bunch of potential points there. So I would hope that we give it a go. You know, even if we were to end up losing 5-1 or something, which that is not my prediction, I hope mm -hmm. we set up to actually have a go and believe in what we're trying to build and have built yeah. and have full conviction in that. So I think you'll see a fast start from us. And so how score how first? How can you hurt City then? How do you hurt other teams? Is it are you is it a balanced side? Is it down the wings? Or is it the, that engine that you've talked about in your players that is so important to, to you getting at City and creating those chances? I think it's the energy levels in mm. key pressing positions and across yeah. the middle of the park as well. I think there's a lot of pressure that we can put on. And because City tend to play very slow build-up football, I would hope that we would have a real go in the first 25 minutes yeah. at pressing really hard with high energy. And I think that's an area where we could have some luck. Can we keep it up for 90 minutes? Not so convinced. Yeah, I was moaning on WhatsApp this morning about that. <laughs> uh, 
uh, coming out the blocks firing, but rather than uh, playing the ninety minutes. But hey, yeah, spoilt is what I am. But <laughs> mm. it, it it is the yeah the time to get a city is to come out with that energy. Absolutely, I agree. What's the injury situation right now? Then is it all right? Bad? I mean, obviously, across the Premier League, it's been horrific, has it not? But we're pretty okay through. We're we're through the little phase of uh, yeah. injuries that we had. I think we we miss. Max Aaron's still at right back. Adam Smith's been deputising pretty well, apart from shirt pulling in offside positions or not, as the case may be. But let's not go down that path from the other day. But no, all positions across the park, apart from that, we're fit in all areas. So yeah. no worries on that front. So how do you see the game playing out? City will ultimately dominate possession probably as they usually do. You're not going to have a tiny amount of the ball, are you? You've got a, an attractive side. I think the possession might, you know, it, do you see it being a, a basketball type of game that's end-to-end -end and exciting? Because that's how I see it. But every time I predict something like that, it'll turn out to be dour. So I should probably <laughs> keep quiet. <laughs> well, I think in, in reverse order, my prediction for the match is that City will win 3-2. Hmm. I think it's going to be a game where Bournemouth start fast and they score first. Right. Now, if we score two in the first 25 minutes, I think it gets really interesting. But if it's only one, I think it'll be 3-2. If we get the first two goals, I think we get away with a point. Mm. Well, City have won the last four away games, having gone behind first. So... Putting your money on Bournemouth to score the first goal is not but that I think this ridiculous. Is, it's not ridiculous. And I think this is where in a nothing to lose game, as I said, with the fixtures we've got coming along, is get one in the first 10, get two yeah. in the first 20, and then let's see what City are made of. So it feels like a free hit in a way. So It is really. Yeah. So you're sticking with a 3-2 score prediction? I'll stick with the 3-2 prediction to City and I'll be ecstatic if we go 2-0 ahead and hold on <laughs> to a 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> well, I think it'll be quite tight and exciting. I'm going for 2-1 City, so we will see. Uh, not sure I've got a single prediction right all season, but hey, <laughs> just a bit That's of fun. It's always the first just, time. Yeah, just finally. Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but it's absolutely worth uh, mentioning it again. Talking Cherries itself... Uh, if you could just remind uh, listeners what it's about, why it's set up, and what you've achieved. Yeah, so we're a fan-led uh, mental health initiative aiming to create a no-pressure, non-judgmental environment to talk mental health, but to use the power and love of our football club to start conversations. Mm. So we've done a lot um, recently, and a point in time, we've uh, done a fundraiser, in a few weeks' time, we'll have Luton back down in town uh, after Tom Lockyer sadly had his heart issues on the pitch. It was a very mm. difficult moment for many people, and we've been doing a fundraiser to help Luton fans get some free transportation back down. That's been done by us and the Cherries Trust. We've raised about £1,700 already, which I think is... Target. Target was a thousand, so you've smashed Target it. Target was you know? a thousand, so he smashed it. So I think that's two and a quarter coaches. I don't know how you get a quarter of a coach. <laughs> just shave off, yeah, just uh, share a bit off another one. So. 
but um yeah no so you know that that's our current thing that we're doing and it's uh it's going to be a poignant uh time when luke come back to town and it's going to be an opportunity for fans that reached out to each other both at the game and after the game to check in mm. on each other on, on how they're doing because it was a difficult moment for many fans players staff etc etc so uh, that's us and what we do brilliant and much needed yeah that's a great thing that you do do so thank you very much for that and thank you Simon, for taking the time out to speak to us no problem up the cherries yes and as always, after this weekend, all the best with the rest of the season. Hope it goes really well for you. And including this weekend, all the best to us <laughs> and to you thereafter. Thank you very much. Right, uh, we'll go back to the panel now to discuss and preview Saturday night's game. All right, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, really enjoyed that, as I always do with opposition fans. Uh, one of my favourite parts of the week. And it is time, Lloyd, for the Bournemouth preview. Uh, I know, I know you're currently on Twitter looking at our press conference as well for injury news on Kevin De Bruyne. But first, <laughs> uh, Saturday five thirty again. Who are uh, a left field question linked to something Simon said? Does it give teams like Bournemouth an advantage playing us under the lights? Yeah, it gives any home team an advantage. I think to play in the evening rather than say. The Saturday twelve thirty, which is you know, mm. the, the worst slot mm. of all, and <laughs> you're, it's just the fans as well. It's not just the players. I mean, obviously the players have the yeah. biggest influence on any game, given that they're the ones kicking it around the pitch. But the fans are just not up for it at half twelve. So yeah, I think I think they'll fancy. It. I'm I'm nervous about this game. I'm more nervous about this game than I actually was going into Brentford and uh, Chelsea, which obviously mm. I look like an idiot for, given how that panned out, but. That's where I'm at. Well, I'll, I'll have to stick with you for the next question. Must win again, I assume. Mm. <laughs> I no, saw Asan mention think... it on the review, actually. I saw no, I was name-checked think... by Asan. I don't think it is, actually, and that's not a very typical response from me. I think the fact that Liverpool won't play is helpful because they're in the Cup. And well, they have because... played it, and it's Luton, so... No, I know, but as in like yeah. they're 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 not they're not going to be playing in the Premier League this weekend. Mm. Um Arsenal have just come off the back of a poor result, which you know I expect that they will respond to and they'll win at the weekend, but irrespective, you know, Newcastle still a tough game for them. Good match and, now. Well, after what happened, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously ideally we go there, we take three points, and that's the kind of game that you have to win in most title winning seasons. But I think with 13 games still to go, I don't think you can call it a must win. Yeah, I think... Like if we got a point, it wouldn't be the absolute end of the world, no, would it? I mean, we would because feel Because like we go to Anfield, because you want win away from going top. If you're always within a win of going top, potentially, then obviously the world has not ended. In fact, it wouldn't if we were 15 points behind, but you know what I mean. Uh, mm. we, we can go to Anfield win and then... We're top again, so uh, and it will put us. But the goal difference is being eroded, uh, Asan. Yeah, which is probably the reason, as I alluded to earlier, why Brentford game triggered me a bit. I don't know because after the Chelsea game, I thought, oh, we're just we're, we're going to batter Brentford. You know, <laughs> the players are all annoyed by that Chelsea game. We didn't lose. You know, the way people talk, you think we had uh, we drawn against Chelsea, and the players were so up for it. But of course, we have our style 
that is always the same. We don't try and blow teams away. But always, always top of the goal difference charts. And it is, in a way, could be crucial at the end of the season. Might not matter. Uh, but it has been eroded. So do you even think about that when you're at this time of the season? No. No. I don't think that... Uh, I, I think that it will be what it will be. I I don't think that you can... It's just a bit disrespectful to be giving it in this Premier League or where we need to put four past them because of the goal difference. Like, there are... Maybe with the exception of Sheffield United or Burnley on a bad night, there's nobody that you can expect to turn over in that particular fashion. On the contrary, the only thing that matters is the three points. So how are you? How confident are you? Are you as nervous as Lloyd about this one? I am. I, well, not. So I'm going to rephrase that. I'm not nervous because I think that uh, City are a better team than Bournemouth uh, I think it'll be a difficult game I think it'll be a challenging game but I also think it's the kind of game that Guardiola will relish I think in a way the way Ariola Iriola is that how you pronounce it I think yeah. Simon said Iriola so uh, yeah, yeah. The, the way that he likes to play is clearly defined they will have all of the videos and all of the kind of data and the analysis that they need uh, to prepare for this game properly and it'll be it won't be a case of right well you're going to be camped in the edge of on the edge of their penalty yeah, no. and they're just sending it <laughs> long yeah that's all you're dealing with here because in a way that's more annoying i think the fact that uh they will try and press us high they will try and play football it should make for an entertaining game now mm. that type of team goes one of two ways city either win or they struggle because they're not clinical and the other team have a perfect day but Either way, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I will say that I disagree with Lloyd. It's a must-win. It's absolutely, without question, a must-win. I think that uh, between now and Anfield, every Premier League game is a must-win. And I think that the the cushion that Liverpool's defeat to Arsenal gave us, we gave back to them by drawing with Chelsea. So mm. I'm back to we've got to win every game between now and Anfield. So Lloyd, yeah, you, <laughs> Lloyd, your thoughts on Bournemouth then? So, no winning six, but they're well organised. Uh, don't get thrashed, haven't lost many recently, almost won at Newcastle. And the key question is, is what Aysen alluded to, is this good news for City or bad news for City? They are top of goals scored from regains this, oh God, this this sounds so stato <laughs> to people from regaining the ball in the final third. So basically what we're saying is they press really well and they've scored a lot of goals from pressing. They try and isolate the uh, full backs. They mm. then press big time. But as Asa said, they won't be camped on the uh, 10 people in their own in their own. Uh, penalty box when I said Champions League suits us better it's because teams come out to play Bournemouth will be coming out to play and of course if they are playing a high line and pressing if we beat the press we can obviously really prosper against this side absolutely yeah um, so I so the way I see it is this if City were really stable at the moment in terms of the first 11 and the system 
games like this wouldn't worry me as much. The problem is we have, because of Pep's decisions, we have been messing around a little bit with the way that the team's set up and there's been quite a lot of change also in selection because Pep has come out and said, you know, we're going for short-term pain at this time of the season for hopefully long-term gain. So I'll play a Kanji in midfield against Chelsea, even though that's probably not the best solution. Come March and April, mm. we might need a Kanji. So there's been a lot of that over the last few weeks. Now, it looks like De Bruyne, I don't think, is going to play on Saturday, given Pep's quotes. So he said he hasn't got an injury, but he felt something in the week. He has been training, and Pep said he's glad that they they took the precaution, and it now looks like a good decision. We don't know whether he's involved, but he's going to travel to Bournemouth. That, to me, sounds like they're just... With the week or two that are coming up, I just think they'll they'll leave him out and go with what they've got. And so if we were going into this, say, with our kind of close to our, you know, treble winning team, that kind of control team, mm. this game wouldn't really worry me. The problem is it's not it's probably not going to be that. So I think for me, team selection is absolutely everything for this game in terms of which which players play and not to sound like a broken record, <laughs> but I wonder what you're about to say. Saturday, 5.30 is absolutely not the game for Julian Alvarez to play in midfield. <laughs> oh, you surprised me. Okay. What would your team be? Right, so they Let's are, say Kevin De Bruyne's out. Let's just say yeah, substitute so at best. Statistically, yeah. there's a really good piece on The Athletic by some coach called Liam Tharm about kind of how Bournemouth play and how they press. So they're the best pressing team in the country what you don't need is someone giving it away cheaply in midfield and causing mm. transitions so i would be tempted to go with mostly the kind of control slash you know um possession guys so i think for me this is a game i would definitely expect kovacic to come back in i'd really like to see alvarez just sit on the bench for this one bernardo absolutely has to start I'd be tempted to drop Walker. I don't think Pep will do that and play a Kanji um, if Ake can play. Now that obviously depends on where he's at or whether a Kanji has to go and play left back again. Um, I'd play Foden centrally, and then I would understand why you might want to play Doku because you might want one kind of player as your real outlet. And obviously, the, the beauty of Doku is if if we do get past their press. There's going to be no one better at kind of exploiting that mm. space in behind, but I, I feel like this could be an Oscar Bob game. I'd like to. I wouldn't be at all concerned. Yeah. In fact, I'd probably prefer Bob to start and maybe use Doku off the bench. So that would be roughly how I'd be looking at it. The the idea of like a Nunes or an Alvarez playing in this game scares the shit out of me, to be honest. So can I can I yes. jump in there, Howard? Of course, I was going to ask you anyway. Um. So, Lloyd, you said I was harsh on Kovacic in the week. If Alvarez starts ahead of Kovacic, do you take that back? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, I, for, for me, <laughs> from, a, from a selection point of view, I actually I'd, I slightly disagree with you on the Bob shout in that I think Bob makes more sense against a low, low, low block 
Like against Brentford, Bob makes sense because they ain't doing anything in in those wide areas. They're just tucking in, right? They're they're playing very deep and very static. And so you almost need all of your footballers there to try and unpick that lock. Um I think on the contrary, there will be space against Bournemouth. And so it, a little bit makes more sense to have Doku there because you want somebody mm. who can explode into that pace, into that space, because we don't have a ton of players who can. Um, from a selection point of view, defensively, I think that whether we like it or not, he's committed to the Walker bit. And if he's committed to the bit with Walker, then Walker just needs to play because I feel, I, I don't know if there's any benefit in resting him. I almost feel like, you know, yeah, I just, Walker's got to play. So for me, it's like Walker, Stones, Diaz, Ake, Rodri, Foden, uh, Alvarez, Bernardo, Doku, Haaland. For me, that's the team that not that I would not necessarily the team that I would pick, but that's absolutely the team that I think Guardiola will pick. You see, you think Pep will go for Alvarez? Yeah, I yeah, thought, I do. I just he's committed I to that bit hooked. as well. I thought him getting hooked against Brentford was a little bit. He's been hooked before. He's been hooked. No, I know. But he's, he's been hooked before. Do you he's not cool. think he's beginning to look... For, he looks fatigued to me. He looked fatigued a month ago. No, he's I, been blamming, I He's been blamming shots over the bar since, you know, since the mistletoe was still up at Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I think that... It's, I think that's we're, absolutely right. It's just... Brentford at home, completely understand why you might want to play Alvarez. You want someone closer to Haaland, particularly if De Bruyne doesn't play. You want someone for those for those shots, and he had a few against Brentford, didn't he? And he scheduled mm. them. But in this game, do you, do you want him in midfield? I I really think you don't. I think I think it could be a big problem. Yeah, I think Kovacic makes more sense. But how many times can we have this conversation? We don't know yet, do we? So uh, it's going to be a very different game anyway. To yeah, the previous. Well, well, Copenhagen maybe. was more like this and he didn't play Alvarez yeah. and that's the first time that's happened basically this entire let's see if that's a template or if that was a one-off hmm true it's a fair point but you never know with him with different competitions different performances different uh, mindsets yeah but Bournemouth will come out to play so we'll see and I say as they'll try and pin our fullbacks and pin our back line I expect the best passers to play, the best control, the players with the best control to play. But but you know that's for me. I've 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 felt all season, and I keep I keep using that phrase that like Alvarez is counterintuitive to Pep ball, but then Pep has started Alvarez unless I'm mistaken in every single Premier League game so far. So if that's the case, I find it almost impossible. Like I'm at the point where I, honestly. He's dropping Foden before he's dropping Alvarez. Hmm. That's how committed to that bit he is. And if he's committed to it, we've just got to, we're going to have to wear it. And and I also, and I know this is a bit conspiracy theory-esque, but I do think that he's sent a very clear message to the people who buy footballs at Man City. I, I genuinely do. I think, I think the messaging is clear this season. These are the lads that I trust. The rest of them, I'm not asked about. Make sure this summer you get me players that I trust. Hmm. Yeah, 25 out of 25 starts for Alvarez. He started more games than Edison. 
There you go. There you go. He's committed to the bit. He's starting tomorrow. Okay. Well, time's almost defeated us. Lloyd, how do you see the game playing out? Quite an end-to-end entertaining game then. Not going to be one of these where we can dominate the ball and are camped on the edge of their area in a way if, if Bournemouth want to play. Yeah, I think that's right. I think so. A lot of it's going to come down to two things for me. A, um, team selection for City. So I'm going to be very keen at half four to see what that 11 is. Or actually, sorry, knowing the FPL account, it's going to be about 12 noon, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I look forward to your 17 WhatsApp messages. Oh, us, yeah. Honestly, um, I don't have notifications turned on, I promise. Uh, and then. I think the other thing is, is Harlan going to finish his dinner? Because, you know, the pattern of the recent games has been seven shots against Brentford. Uh, sorry, six shots against Brentford, seven shots against Chelsea. The, the game is totally different if he takes an early chance. So, mm. you know, if Harlan scores an early chance that we put him into, the game could be very different to to how a few of the others have played out recently. So I'd say those are the two key things for me. Okay, your score prediction? Christ, Christ, indeed. I think the guy went for two like... one on the uh, with Simon. I think it's, it's a couple of nights ago now, so you know my memory. So it could be a tight game, but City will come through. So. I'm worried it could be something like three two or two two, but I'm going to go three right. two. Hey, Sam. Yeah, I was going to go three two. You know, funnily enough, I, I do think it'll be I do think it'll be high scoring. I, I reckon Solanke will score um, because we don't like clean sheets, and neither does Pep. Um, but I do think we'll score more goals than them, which is the point of the game. So yeah, I think I'm going to go with three two as well. Uh, is it four on the row that we've got? Yeah, we won the last four, having been behind. Away from home in the league, so yep. don't get too down if they do score first, because yeah, they will give us chances. So we will see. Right, I think I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, it's going to be a tough game, tough game. But I guess we'll find a lot, a lot out about City, and we are, despite it all, despite drawing against Chelsea, still probably the form team, aren't we? So we felt we dropped points in about one game this year or last month so yeah not too bad is it and we've even gained perspective is points Howard yes and we've gained on Liverpool because they've lost the game so you know look at the positives there so yeah I think we've covered everything eh son anything else you want to talk about or that was excellent that yeah Yeah. done it all right hey son thank you very much pleasure Howard thank you Lloyd thank you very much cheers appreciate you taking the time out both of you Uh, that's a wrap we're all off to fist pump the tram when a mostly empty double turns up. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. And as always, Asan, up the blues. <laughs>